People are not equal. It is a rational idea, but not everyone believes it. Some folks thinks they think that there could be no disparities between individuals. Everybody gets a trophy. They teach that all outcomes must be the same, even if we have to twist the truth and pretend. For those of you on the conservative side, you know that we call these people far-left liberals. But here's the question that I want you to think about in this podcast. I don't want you to think about them. I want you to think about you, assuming that you are a conservative. Here's the question. Did you know that many Christians act like the far-left liberal? I want to give you seven illustrations of that to prove my point. The title of the podcast is Seven Surprising Ways a Christian Acts Like the Far-Left Liberal. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. If you want to read this podcast, I want you to remember the rule. You read it, you have to share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for that title, Seven Surprising Ways a Christian Acts Like the Far-Left Liberal. You can just type surprising into the search box, and you will find it more than likely. Christian Acts, those two words together, far-left liberal, any combination, you will probably find this article, so you don't have to remember the whole thing. But the big thing is, is that you can read it and you can share it. You can make this a talking point with your friends, and I do trust that you will talk about it. Let's talk about this idea of all outcomes being the same, that we want to make everybody equal. Now, again, most of us, I think, know that that is not a rational idea. For example, suppose you had 10 runners lined up participating in a 100-yard dash. They all began at the same spot. Guess what? They're going to finish the race differently. Now, in our rational world, we expect this outcome. We so believe this that we will even pull for our favorite runner, knowing that there will be one winner and the rest will be losers. We, my son participated in track and field this past year at school, and we went to the, some of those track meets, and, and we knew that. They all started at the same place, and we knew that they would be diff, different outcomes. You could not make everybody equal. Now, though they all had the same opportunity, they started at the same place, they didn't have that same outcome, and that makes sense to most of you. Now, the others are going to pipe up, and they're going to say, well, they really didn't start at the same place. Each runner did not have the same opportunity. Now, in a most technical sense, that is actually correct. But you know what? That only proves my point. All people are unequal. And rather than admitting this obvious truth, what they want to do is they want to make the start and the finish the same for everyone. And so no matter who you are, you're equal in opportunity, you're equal in outcome. And that perspective is absolutely untenable and unreasonable. Let me give you an illustration of that. Talking about having a 
different opportunity and a different outcome, meaning you're unequal when you start and you un, you're unequal in how you finish. A basketball player who is 5'5". For those of you who are old enough, you can go back to Monty Tao, who was 5'5". I think he was 5'5". The North Carolina, uh, North, uh, North Carolina State Wolfpack won the championship, college basketball championship in 1974. In fact, on that team, they had Monty Tao, who was like 5'5", and then they had Tom Burleson, who was seven foot four inches. It was something to watch them play. And then they had David Thompson who could sky like anybody. And he was right around six, four, I believe. And so if you have a basketball player who is five, five, that person is going to compete is not going to compete like the person who's 15 inches taller than he is or the lady who can bench 100 pounds is not the same as the man who benches 500 pounds a mensa member thinks differently from the rest of us the artist and the engineer they start and they finish in different places people are not the same. Now, most conservatives understand what I am saying, but what many of them do not perceive is how they can act similarly to the far-left liberal, the very liberal that they decry on this matter of equality. And that's why I titled the podcast, Seven Surprising Ways a Christian Acts Like the Far-Left Liberal. Now, I will not give you an exhaustive list to prove my point. I'm going only going to give you seven ways, but I hope that it stimulates your thinking so that you can think of other ways in which maybe you do this. I call this a collective judgment. We group a person into a category and judge them according to the category. This concept is what the utopian, far-leaning liberal does when they teach that everyone is the same. They judge a person, they put them in the category, and everybody should be the same, or that's what they are trying to engineer. And so I want to give you seven random, very random illustrations highlighting how conservatives think like, like those on the other side. I will start my examples by talking about my sphere, the biblical counseling movement. That's my corner. That's where I hang out. And so I'll start there. But my point here is to motivate you to think with more complexity about an individual, about a group, and to stop blindly categorizing everyone a particular way based on elementary school observations. We can do better than this. All right, so I want to give you seven surprising ways a Christian acts like a far-left liberal. And again, I'll start with my corner where I hang out, and I'll talk about biblical counselors. If you ask the average church member what a certified biblical counselor means, they will say some version of, it's a person trained to counsel folks formally. Most people understand that is what a certified 
biblical counselor means. And if you delve deeper into what they mean, what you're going to do is you're going to unearth the false formula that goes like this, certification equals qualification, meaning if you have a piece of paper that you are a certified biblical counselor, that you are qualified to do biblical counseling, in most cases in a formalized context, and that's what so many people believe. Even though there's zillions of us who know this formula is wrong, many Christians think that if a person becomes certified, they can counsel. It's not just untrue, but it's dangerous to take an individual and to judge them according to the group. I talk about this false notion, biblical counselors, meaning certification equals qualification. That is a false notion in many cases. I talk about this in my most recent Life Over Coffee podcast, episode 254, The Repercussions of Being a Certified Biblical Counselor. All certified biblical counselors are not the same. They are unequal. But we on the conservative side, we believe in equality for all. It just ain't true. There are many of these certified biblical counselors who have that piece of paper. You should steer them away. Uh, You should steer away from them if you want help from them. Another illustration of how conservatives can act like the far left and in categorizing an individual as the group is, is with counseling. I'm going to tease out this idea of biblical counselor. I talked about certification equals qualification as a false notion in many cases. Well, all right, so now let's move into the counseling office. Part of the problem with certified biblical counselors who do not know how to counsel well is that they don't have the God given gifting to do so. I don't mean that harshly or unkindly at all. It's just a fact. They have a burden to care for others, which is absolutely commendable. Every burden to do something is not a call to do it. And so these inferior counselors, they learn counseling thoughts ideas, techniques, methods, because they've gone through the training and they did get their their certification, but because they don't have the gift for the discipline, they can only replicate what they heard in their training, which in many cases does not fit the person who is sitting in front of them who needs to hear God's truth in a specific customizable way. Let me illustrate my point. You see Christ counseling well in John 3 and John 4, where two people, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, had the same problem. They needed to be born again. But his counsel was specific to them as you read their stories in John 3, John 4. There are many counselors with a certificate who do not have the depth of insight and mental acuity to make these distinctions. And so there's two ways that we can we can judge the ind- individual according to the collective and say that they're all equal, and it's not true. Here's a third one, parenting. Did you know that more than one child in the same family are, <laughs> are different? Of course you do. 
And because each, each child starts at a different place, guess what? You parent each one uniquely. Sometimes you will hear a child, they, they will attempt to manipulate the parent by saying, it's unfair, you treat me differently from Biffy. The wise parent does not believe in equal opportunity, equal starting place, and equal outcomes. You can't believe in equal opportunity and equal outcomes. And so this parent doesn't succumb to the manipulations of the child. For example, you have a black and white child, meaning they see things in black and white ways. And then there is the 18% gray child. And then you have one who excels in math and the other in English. This list is endless. No child begins in the same place as their sibling they cannot. It is impossible for them to begin at the same place. Even when you get into a granular level of Adamic fallenness, you see so many differences. And so therefore, they cannot end with equal outcomes. The parent's job is to equip a child in the direction that that child should go. The parent discerns the child's uniqueness and then comes alongside that child, creating encouraging and providing insight that fits that unique child. And so we don't want to believe like the far left where everybody should have equal opportunity and equal outcome because it's just not reasonable nor is it tenable. Whether you're talking about being a certified biblical counselor, where you're talking about the actual counseling process, whether you're talking about parenting, let's go to number four, the political left. Did you know that all liberals are not the same? An interesting graphic that my pastor showed us today. It was a graphic that said 80 plus percent of Republicans believe that Democrats are racist. Can you imagine a, a, a Republican saying that 80 plus percent, virtually every Democrat is racist? But then again, he showed the same graphic. There was a similar percentage of Democrats that think Republicans are racist. It was over 80%. Imagine that. This kind of thinking is not just fallacious, but it is detrimental to discussions that could lead, should lead to reconciliation. If you look on the other side of the aisle and you see all of them as the same you're making a significant error in judgment. Whether it's a biblical counselor, counselor, whether it's the counseling office, whether it's a parent, whether it's the political left, number five. This is more general, a demographic you disdain. Pick a demographic that is a temptation for you to judge uncharitably. Perhaps it is skin color. Maybe it is intellectual level. Maybe, maybe you judge all smart people a certain uncharitable way or all not-so-smart people a certain uncharitable way. Maybe it's a religious preference that you have and all of those that aren't part of that religious stripe. Maybe it's weight size. Maybe it's gender. Maybe it's vocation. Pick a demographic that is a temptation for you to judge uncharitably. When you see a person working that job or affiliated with that organization or behaving a certain way, do you have a stereotypical judgment of that person? Do you clump him into the hole and stamp your disapproval over him? Now, let's be honest. We all have done this. Pick your human irritant. 
and you will see the temptation to castigate all those who fit within the spectrum of what bothers you. Let me give you an illustration of this. In my Independent Fundamental Baptist days, I had an unkind perspective on any man with long hair. Imagine that. The hair revealed the heart, you could say. Now, I trust you know how idiotic that kind of thinking is. I say that, I laugh, but I say it also regretfully that if if a man had long hair, I could judge his heart. This is exactly what I'm saying, that you can't pick an individual and, and pick the human irritant. And maybe I did I wasn't irritated with long hair. Maybe I was just jealous because I didn't have it. But anyway, but you, you pick the thing that you disapprove of, and then you judge them according to the entire group. Pick the demographic you disdain. All right, so number six, church. All churches are the same, right? When you talk to some folks, you could very well conclude this. Typically in these situations, a church hurt them legitimately, and they are reacting to a legitimate situation that was part of their lives. And their reaction, the reason they they just talk about church in these broad brush ways, they're clumping all churches into the same trash heap, and then the victim, legitimate hurt, I said, they become the foolish sinner as they castigate all churches as evil. They may go on anti-religion rants and organize religion and use the process of verificationism to prove their point. I talked about that in the last podcast. It's a person with a presupposition who finds support to what they already believe no matter how how little support they can find, and then they condemn the collective based on a few data points that they find that affirms what they wanted to believe in the first place. That's verificationism. If your discernment limits you this way, I appeal to you to find help. Another illustration of this about broad brushing all churches as being bad is the person who has had a horrific marriage, legitimate hurt, legitimate horrific marriage. They divorce, and then they judge all men, or they judge all women as dangerous, depending on which side, uh, who the person is as hurt. If the man was hurt by a, a vindictive, evil woman, you know, you would hear them say, again, this is very elementary school. And I'm not making light of the horrific hurt. I've actually been there, so I understand this very well. But then they just, in elementary school, it's like the boyfriend, girlfriend break up, and it's like, you know, I'm never going to date again. Never going to love again. I understand when you say that in the moment, but if you live that way as a way of life for years and years and years and years, and you broad brush in one situation over the collective all, all men are bad or all women are bad, you're in a bad spot. Let me give you one more. Again, the title of the podcast, Seven Surprising Ways a Christian Acts Like the Far-Left Liberal by Taking an Individual or a Human Irritant, that thing that they disdain, dislike, and then they judge the whole collective the same way. Social Justice Warriors. In our effort to stamp out every social justice warrior, we are trampling over a few lives associated with, but not like, the rabid adherents of critical theory. I'm not going to get into critical theory, which is the big basket word from which 
social justice and a whole lot of other issues grow out of. But if you clump every social justice warrior into the same pile and burn them all, you've made a huge mistake. It's like saying that all gays are not Christian without thinking through the complexity of gayness. Or or how many and, and how many men and women are, are bent this way, but they don't want to be. I have counseled people whom I really believe that they are Christian based on a lot of data points, but they struggled with either the lesbian lifestyle, the gay lifestyle. And, but if you take a gay person, as my lesbian friend told me one time, that she went to her church before she met me and was at our church, she said she just became the sermon illustration because this pastor did exactly what I'm appealing to you not to do. You're gay, it means these 16 things. Be gone with yourself. Thousands of social justice warriors only hear the scorn of us when more wisdom, courage, and compassion could be the remedy to their confusion. Seven surprising ways a Christian acts like the far-left liberal. I've given you a wide array of random topics, biblical counseling, counseling, parenting, the political left, a demographic. You disdain the church and social justice warriors. And as you can see, in all of these illustrations, if you act like the far-left liberal who believes we're all the same, you'll make many mistakes in your zealous ignorance. If you're open to self-analysis, I want you to think through the entrapping sequence that leads to this type of worldview. You actually don't get to this place of judging the collective or judging one person based on the collective. You just don't get there overnight. There is a sequence of things, of steps that you go through. And so I want to share with you seven sequential steps that will lead anyone to irrational thinking about others. Again, these are sequential steps. Number one, perspective. You have a negative view of someone. It's something you don't like about the person, or perhaps it's a mistake that you see them making. I'll go back to my illustration that if I saw in my uh, independent fundamental Baptist fundamentalist days, I If I saw a man with long hair, I had a perspective. Okay, so there you go. You start with a perspective. You have a negative view of someone, whatever it may be, social justice warrior, the, the, the liberal. Or maybe you're a liberal listening to this podcast and you think this way about all conservatives, all, all Republicans, or, or, or about me. But you have a perspective, a negative view of someone, something you do not like. Number two, you roll out of that perspective And the next thing in the sequence is a judgment. Based on your perspective, you judge them according to your pre-existing perspective, even though you don't know them. You saw them walking down the street. On the other side of the street, they moved into your neighborhood and they have two or three data points of things that, that you judge them Even though you don't know them, perspective leads to judgment. Your perspective provides a way to identify them. And so no matter what the multi-layered dynamics is of the person's life, you have already rendered your judgment. 
And so out of that, number three, cynicism. Steps one and two, a pre-existing perspective, rolls into a judgment, leads to cynicism. Steps one and two, perspective and judgment, makes you cynical, suspicious, about certain kinds of people. A cynic is a person who stands at a distance with their arm crossed, looking over the top of their glasses, down their nose, critiquing someone or something while never engaging them. And that's one of the key things about a cynic, always standing at a distance. They are, they are fear-motivated, suspicious people. It is judging the long-haired hippie dude without talking to him or understanding his story. And so you just become a cynic. And so you have a perspective. You judge the person. You, you now are cynical toward them. And then number four is self, self-protective. The reason you don't engage is that you are protecting yourself from his ilk. It is the 60s racist in America who goes out of their way to disassociate with a black person, or it's the homophobe who judges but does not seek to learn. They are protecting themselves from being affected. Or maybe if you talk to them, they would say infected. I don't want to be infected by this person. Don't want to hang out with black people because they, they might rub off on me. Don't want to hang out with a gay person. I might become gay. And so out of that cynicism comes this self-protectiveness. And then number five, gullibility. Now there's irony here. The irony is that this type of person that I'm describing to you becomes gullible to their own biases. Now they they are in submission to these biases. They have a predetermined perspective on an individual. They judge him as part of the collective. They steer clear of him, which merely expedited their ignorance. And because they're in the dark about this person, they don't even know the person. They are gullible to their potential unfounded biases. Thus, they create gullibility by their self-protective, distant judgments based on faulty perspective. At this point, After gullibility, number six is brainwash. They are blind to their blindness and smug and righteous in their blindness. They narrow their friend list down to other like-minded blind people. Some people call this a cult. Now, perhaps they are not a cult, but they are cult-like. The far left is cult-like. How do they become cult-like? Because they censor and cancel anyone who disagrees with them. This potential is the conservatives' danger when they act like the far left by canceling and censoring everyone who does not think like them or look like them, the long-haired hippie dude. Thus, number seven, they become unreasonable. It's virtually impossible to talk to this person. Because of their perspective that led to a judgment, which led to cynicism, which led to self-protectiveness, which led to a gullibility, which led to a brainwashing, they now become unreasonable. And the sad part is that it does not matter where you land on the human spectrum. You will find these unreasonable people everywhere. Left, right, center. They are in the full lecturing mode, not the listening mode. 
I have just a couple minutes left. I have one more section, might not be able to finish it, but I do want you to check out this article, Seven Surprising Ways a Christian Acts Like the Far Left Liberal. One of the things I I want to finish up with is, why do they do this? And what I'm talking about is, why do the people that we don't like do what they do. I'm talking about them now, not you, not me. I'm talking about them. We want to be careful about these collective judgments over people who do not think and act the way that you do, because if you if if you do make these judgments, you're making a fatal heart observation about them, and you don't have that kind of insight. Before you judge every person that is part of the group you dislike, You need to understand why they think that way. I want to give you six potential reasons a person may advocate for something that you dislike. Now, let me get the first one out of the way. Evil intent. Some people are just evil. They're doing something you dislike. The thing that they're doing is evil, and they're doing it for evil purposes. So I'm just get that out of the way. Some people are just downright evil, mean, and nefarious. They have one goal, and the goal is dark. Okay. We, they do exist. Number two, a genuine motive. Many liberals want a better country, a better church, a better marriage, a better fill-in-the-blank. Their love is valid, but their presuppositions and their methodologies are out of whack, as we understand. But they have a genuine motive. We're not talking about a person with just downright, uh, downright evil, mean, and nefarious, and and everything is dark. And so there can be evil intent. There could be a genuine motive to do well. Ignorance. Well, guess what? We're all ignorant. <laughs> I remember my pre-regeneration days when I believed things ignorantly. Ignorance may make you liable to your cause, but it does not have to banish you to reprobate island. I'll just do number four, and then I'll have to wrap up. Past hurt. You'll meet a lot of folks who have gone through deep hurts. They're motivated to advocate for causes that their hurts fuel. Some of them are angry. Some of them are angry. Others mix biblical ignorance into their pain, and it sets an unfortunate trajectory. I get it. Thanks for listening. You can read the rest. God bless.